the optimal life. So you have quite a story from some of the research that I've seen and, and your background. Take us back. You were a teenager when you first became a, a mother. Is that correct? Correct. Absolutely. I was 15 years old. You were 15. Yep. What was that when you end up finding out that you're pregnant at 15 years old? How does that go down? Well, let me uh, let you know this, that I was 15 in juvenile detention pregnant. Um, I actually got out of the juvenile detention before I had my son. But um, finding out I was pregnant at a teenager as young as I was, I was so naive and just in, on the wrong track in life that um, it was just really devastating. So you're 15 years old in juvenile detention for what? So I was hanging out with some friends, first time hanging out with this type of friends and end up um, shoplifting. And I was the only one that got caught. And you get caught shoplifting and they take you and they throw you into a juvenile home just like that? No, no, no. So I actually had been staying out of school, uh, missing school. Um, I'm very rebellious towards my mom. She was trying to tell me, you know, to make sure I'm going to school and doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. But my kid's father at that time, he was 21 years old and he ha he had his own place to live. And I was 15. And so I ended up staying with him off and on. And so just being very rebellious, not listening to my mom. Um, I think it started from a from when I think back on it now, it started from my younger years when I was five years old. My mom's boyfriend tried to molest me. And I think as the years went on, I kind of just got very rebellious and spir spiraled out of control. When you say tried to molest you, what does that mean, tried? So we went home by ourselves, and he actually would, began to fondle me, putting his hands down my clothes um, and trying to, you know, sexually assault me in that form. How old were you? I was five years old. You were five. Yes. Did you know that that was wrong at that age? Oh, absolutely. I knew it was wrong. And so did he. I, don't, I, don't, I always think back now and just know that it seems like God was with me in so many different scenarios, because for whatever reason, it's like he had looked up. We was home by ourselves, and he looked up and it was like he saw something and he stopped doing what he was doing and told me not to tell anybody. And I ran off. Did you carry that with you for months and years? Do you looking back? Well, I I told my mom, okay, because my mom had an ex-boyfriend that lived down the street who was very, very nice to me and my brother. And he was very, he was more of a father figure. So I ran to him because I was so scared and so nervous. And by me being a a, a, a child, um, I was trying to use the bathroom and, and it and it hurt so bad because I was a child and he was fondling me there. And of course, when you haven't had any kind of intercourse, that's uh traumatic for a child. And um, so he asked me what was wrong and I told him. And when I told him, he went looking for this guy right then. And he just, but the guy had already took off and, and left and everything. And then he told my mom, cause he wanted to know where my mom was and how she allowed this to happen. And, you know, but it happened and everybody was furious, but this guy was started hiding at this time because everybody was looking for him. Now, do you believe that your rebellious nature stemmed from that incident? Uh, had that incident not occurred, do you believe that you may have been in a different situation as a teenager? I think that um, it was a lot of instances in my childhood that I couldn't control. Like my, I was from a broken home. My mom and dad had separated as well. Uh, my mom had a, a abusive relationship with her boyfriend. It was so many different traumatic experiences that I had um, 
experience growing up as a child that I think that I just had no foundation of what a real stable relationship was. And so it's like every relationship that I found after that was some type of toxic relationship that I gravitated to. And just one thing just kept happening and happening. It was like every, every bad choice I could make, it's like I made it. So you end up dating, you're in your mid-teens and you're dating a guy who's 21 years old. Yes. And was that okay? I mean, that's against the law, correct? Correct. And my mom, she was furious about it. She actually had told him that she was going to call the police on him. She actually, I think, tried to call the police on him one time. Um, But I think what happened is because I was pregnant, that's what allowed her to be more lenient because now I have a child and this guy's the father. And you know, my mom was trying to cope with the with the situation herself. And at the same time, my mom was an alcoholic as well. So she had her own issues and she was trying to deal with me as a rebellious teenager. When you're 15 years old, you hardly know anything about yourself still, let alone the world. Absolutely. And now you're expected to take care of a child, carry a child, and then the harder part, actually taking care of that child while you're still a child yourself. So a couple of things there. The first thing, back to where we started, how do you find out? Because as a 15-year-old, you probably still don't even understand all the anatomy and the sexual stuff and how the body is. So how do you end up finding out, oh, my God, I'm actually pregnant? So actually, um, because my 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 body's normal so um when it got un- when it when it wasn't normal anymore and i actually didn't have a cycle then okay my mom she already had picked up on it because she already knew that you know she was paying attention to me basically and she knew that something's not right and i had a pregnancy test and what she expected that's what it was i was pregnant what's what's the reaction from your mother i'm sure you still remember it crystal clear she was very mad, very furious. She was furious with him as well. But my mom, um, and and I believe in generational curses because my mom, she actually was 15 when she, 15 years old when she was pregnant and 16 years old when she had my brother. So she already understood this and she understood what I was going through. To, and I think this is what she was trying to prevent from the, from the very beginning is me not walking in her footsteps. Um, because my mom has a brother, well, she's passed on now, but she had a brother and sister, a uh, total of nine of them. And they had many struggles growing up as well. Oh, that had to be a brutal moment for her. Yeah. It as was. scary as it had to be for you, that had to be a torturous moment for her because she literally, her whole life came flashing back in front of her eyes. Absolutely. And I'm a failure now. I Exactly what I try to prevent my daughter from getting into and here it is. She's following my exact same footsteps. Yep. That had to be extremely painful. What was those next seven, eight months like for you? Do you was it was it sad? Was it exciting? Was it a mix of emotions? What are you feeling when you're 15 and pregnant? Well, it was very sad, very emotional, because here I am in a juvenile detention. Um, but I'm thankful for being in that juvenile detention because they made me go to a community college to get my GED. Um, so that was one great thing that came out of it, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about being pregnant. I didn't know anything about a baby or anything like this. So it was just like, I was living in a dream, but this was, but it was reality. So it was very confusing, confusing to me, but you know, I, I still made a bunch of bad choices. Right. And we'll get to those choices. Is the is the boyfriend asking you to keep it a secret because he can get in trouble, correct? Yes, absolutely. No, he at this time he did not 
he didn't keep it a secret. He didn't, at this time I'm in juvenile detention. And of course I'm so naive and um, not just thinking about life. Um, he didn't try to help support me when I was in a juvenile detention. He didn't do anything to, to try to be there for me. It was my mom there for me and my, my aunts. Um, but as soon as I got out the juvenile detention center, he was there the first day. Mm. Okay. So you, you end up getting into some trouble. You're only 15. You get out of juvenile. Mm -hmm. Apparently juvie didn't teach you your lessons. Correct. So, um, so what ends like, up happening, Trust? So what, what gets you into some trouble then at that point? Yeah. So it was like, I wanted to please my mom so bad, but it was just like, I could not make seem to have the paradigm to get me to the right choices. It was like, my mind was shifted in like every choice that I wanted to make. It was like, I couldn't make. So when I got out of juvenile detention, he was there day one where my cousin had told me to, that he was down the street. He wanted to see me. So he talked me into getting in the car with him, um, go, going to visit his mom to see, so she could see me pregnant and see how far along I was. Then here I am at his house again. And he was very, very abusive and mean, and, and I mean, physical abusive. So here we are. I'm back at his house again. My mom's furious because she knows that he didn't try to support me or do anything at all um, to help me. But my mom, the reason how she got me out of juvenile detention, because now she had she had married a man, which was a great man for her life. And he had reenlisted back in the military. And so they was going to Massachusetts. So they couldn't keep a juvenile in, a, in the state of North Carolina uh, in a juvenile detention if the parent has left. So when she sent the paperwork saying that they were we were moving, they had to release me to go with her. And I ended up, she ended up having it, they ended up having to leave and left me behind. So here I was with the child, him that's very abusive, and starting to make the same choices over again. How far along were you when you got out of juvie and he, you, and he uh, took you in? So I was about eight months then. So you were getting close. You only had about a month left to go. Correct. And and his mom was excited. To see you pregnant, he was. She was excited that her twenty-one-year-old son had had uh, knocked up, for lack of a better term, a fifteen-year-old. She wasn't, and she, his mom tried to talk to me as well. But truthfully, he was so abusive and so mean. His mom truly was scared of him, so she really did not say a lot of things because she did not want the confusion between them two and uh, his abusiveness to come out towards her. Mm, interesting. And then, so then you're living with him. He's being abusive to you. Yeah. You had gotten out of juvie and then your family leaves the state and they abandon you. This is yeah. all happening at the same time in your life. Yeah. It's all happening at the same time. And you're it's weeks away from delivering another life into this world. Yes. And so my mom, um, when I had my son, uh, it was very, very cold one night and I'm a young mom, not knowing how to raise a child. He was being very abusive at this time. So I took my son and dashed out of the house trying to get away from him, not knowing that you, with a child so young, you have to cover their mouth and face because their lungs haven't developed. So when I dashed out of the house and ran trying to run away from him, my son ended up sick in the hospital. So my mom came back. And when she found out he was in the hospital, so she came back and told me basically, you know, you're, you keep making these bad choices, but I'm not going to let this happen to this child. So she took my child back to Massachusetts with her and, and left me. So now you're still by yourself and she took, she, is she allowed to do that? She, she, she did. Um, well, she did. She, she I mean, did I, it. Even though technically, if you really wanted to, she wouldn't have been allowed to do that. Right. Absolutely. But I felt it was best for that to happen because I knew that this situation was 
was well, bad. yeah, you're only 15 years old. We have yeah. to put this in perspective. I mean, you're yep. again, you're still a child. Yeah, a 15 year old is a child. I don't yep. care if you're a teenager. I don't care if you grew up fast. You're still a, ch a child. Absolutely. And so I was making childish. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. What would you say? I was saying, and I was making all the childish decisions. All the childish decisions. Well, you were you were making decisions. Yes, I mean they were not good decisions, but you can see where a lot of this had stemmed from, and quite oftentimes when we're hurting and when we're in pain we don't yeah. make rational thinking decisions Absolutely. that seems to be what was going on with you mm -hmm. so when did you get into some so now you start really rebelling Talk, take to us when you ultimately get in trouble and get arrested so okay so when i so let me go here so sure. i ended up going to my, where my mom was in massachusetts when i got to massachusetts I was pregnant again. My second child. This time, um, she she had kept him for a while. I'm 18 years old, going into 19 years old with a child number two. Now, let me just stop you, Tressa. Yeah. Your mom's in Massachusetts for a couple, two, three years with your baby. Mm -hmm. The 21 year old, the father. Yeah. Is he irate, saying you better bring my baby back, or he doesn't give a shit one oh, way or another? No, not not at all. Actually. No, he actually he was he was a drug dealer, but actually I didn't know he was a user as well. So he used drugs as well. And I didn't know this because he never would do it around me. So he sold the drugs, but he was really a heavy user. But he would use somewhere else, not near me. Okay. And so when I went to Massachusetts um, to, to my to get because I wanted my other I wanted my son. I wanted a life with my son and I wanted to do better. So I found out I'm pregnant at that time. My mom, she just, you know, basically still embraced me, tell me she loves me, she loved me and everything. But now I'm trying to really, really try to figure out, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Um, he finds out where I'm at in Massachusetts uh, with my mom. Um, I'm not sure exactly who told him the address or whatever, but he ends up in Massachusetts wanting me and the kids back and to go with him. Um, now, now again, Tressa, this is the same dad that with the first child, same exact yeah, man. Same, same exact man. Okay. Same exact man. Okay, and he was abusing you for those years while yes. the baby was with your mom in Massachusetts. You were living yes. in an abusive relationship. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, basically my mom did not want him in her home, but in Massachusetts it snowed so much. It was so, it was freezing outside and that snow was just, I mean, you step out there, it's to your thigh. It was just how much it had snowed that year. And um, so she let him in the house and everything, you know, but she basically told him, you know, when the snow clears out, you got to go, you have to leave. And so basically he was causing problems and saying, you know, well, my children and she needs to go and she needs to bring my children as well. So me not wanting confusion with my mom and him and this and that, I came back. So when I come back, the abuse continuously goes on. Now I have two children so now I'm trying to find out how do I get out of this mess because it's just a mess at this point. So I end up asking the guys that will bring him drugs. Can I can they start sneaking it to me so that I could sell drugs? And they did. So I ended up making money from them, um, trying to sell the drugs and everything so I can get my own place. I ended up getting my own place and he found out where I lived at. And um when he found out where I lived at, it was a guy, another guy that I had kind of started dating. He ended up shooting this guy in the arm. And so that's how he ended up getting out of my life because he ended up in jail and then going to prison for that. But me, I kept selling the drugs. So I ended up selling the drugs and started making a lot of money, um, buying 
uh, place to stay, cars, whatever you could think of. I was starting to buy because I was able to make large quantities amount of money because I wasn't selling little drugs, little small amount of drugs. I was what, selling. What kind of drugs are we talking about? It was cocaine. Okay. So I started selling like kilos of cocaine. Um, and large when you sell it, sell it large, you get large amounts of money back. And this went on for a few years and I had planned to stop because I had started some businesses and uh, was making legal money and drug money. And um, one night you were I was using just, the drug money to finance your legal business yes, dealings. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's what I was doing. And um, one night I found myself just tired with this lifestyle and crying out to God. And I asked God, if it's a God, I need you to help me because I'm tired. I'm tired, Lord, help me. And so when I said that, my children, my, one of my sons was coming in, in, in into the room and my other son came in the room. So I held one son in one arm and I held the other son in the other arm. And I was just asking God for help because I was tired. And so, um, and I was just sitting there crying. And um, three days later, I was indicted by the federal government. How did they find you? So another guy that I would... Uh, transport drugs too or so he would buy the drugs for me he kind of he set me up he set and, you up yes he was an informant yes because he was going to get in trouble or hand over hand over the others and you're going to get in less trouble absolutely that's exactly what happened so they set you up and then one day they come knocking down your door and, and arrest you well no he set me up he he asked me to meet him and i went to meet him and they were there and then they put you in cuffs and took you away absolutely Okay, and then you get indicted, and now your world your world is spinning in front of your eyes. You have two children. Yep. The father's in prison for shooting somebody. Yep. You're on your so who ends up being while you get going to jail? Who, who? Let me guess. Your mom. The mom. Mom yep. comes back to help you out. Yep. So my mom came to, um, to help with the boys and everything, but my brother, he's the one that finally ended up with them. Um, so, but she she started out with him, but he ended up with them, and. Um, I was going through this process, you know, I was in a 23 hour lockdown cell because the, um, because they, they wanted me to talk to the police officers, but I was so scared of the detectives and I was so scared. I didn't, I didn't want to tell the truth on myself because I didn't know the law. I didn't know the Lord. I was just stuck and just realizing I'm in a bad situation and not wanting to make it worse because they automatically was already telling me that I was going to get 30 years to life in prison. 30 years to life. Yes. You're how old at this point? Nineteen? No, it is at this time. I, twenty. No, I, I had no. It was some years went by. I was about twenty six at this time. You were twenty six, so you were living this life for a while now. Yes, yes. You were living this life. Mm -hmm. You were selling drugs. You wanted to quit, but you really never could. Once you got going, you got in too deep. Yeah. The money was too important yep. and too yep. good for you, and you you yep. kept going. Yep. Do you justify it? Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not right. You start justifying those kind of things. I, no, I didn't. Once I got in the county jail, because when you're selling drugs like that, you don't see the effects that you have on other people because it's large quantities of drugs. You're not selling it to the people, to the actual users. You're selling it to someone else that sells it. So, but when I got in the county jail and I started seeing the effects on different people coming in in there that were were addicted to drugs and listened to these stories, I was broken. I was crushed. I was, I was so sorry on the inside that I had a part in that. That it was just, you know, it was very humbling. 
you're finally realizing, huh, this, what I've been doing has had such a negative impact on so many people that I don't even know who I could be standing next to them at the grocery store. Absolutely. I could be selling drugs that have ruined their lives that they're taking so addicted to. Wow. Yes. And I I was hearing stories from some of the, the women in there who parents sold them for drugs and then they end up getting on drugs and this is not something I expected. This is not something that I was uh, aware of. And it just hearing these stories and seeing the effects of the drugs, it was just, I was just so crushed by it. So did you settle or did you go to trial? What, what happened? So I uh, I was in the, the 23-hour lockdown cell when a lady, a minister came into the jail. And when she came into the jail, I had always heard people talk about Psalms 23. And so I didn't have a pen and I didn't have any paper. So I asked her, will you come to um, come over here to my cell? And when she came over to my cell, I asked her, did she know the words to Psalms 23? She said, yes. So I took that pencil I had and I wrote the words of Psalms 23 on the floor of the cell I was in. I stayed up all night long until I memorized that Psalms. And so I would constantly keep saying that Psalms to myself day in and day out. Um, So they were still telling me that I was going to you know, do this, this 30 years to life. But I started reading the Bible and I kept asking God questions. And every time I asked questions, I would find the answer to those questions somewhere in the scripture. So I knew that something was happening here because I'm like, how am I getting these answers to the exact questions that I'm asking? And it was the Bible uh, telling me these answers. So one day I was in my cell and when I was in my cell, I heard the wind blow. I was in a cell by myself and I heard the wind blow. And when the wind started blowing, felt from my feet all the way up to my head, like like my hair was standing on my head. And then all of a sudden I was trying to hold my mouth down because my mouth kept shivering like in a cold winter and it was like a hundred degrees outside. And so it kept on shivering. And then all of a sudden it was going shut up. And I was just trying to hold it down. So I knew then what the scripture was saying about God will baptize you in his spirit and he, he will feed you with his spirit and you will become an effective witness for him to him. So as that was happening, I kept finding, feeling the Roman on my chest, like uh, someone was working on my heart. And the scripture tells you that God would take that heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. And so I knew that the Lord was doing something for me and he was doing something to me. I see now on how to come out of this because he showed me in a spirit realm in spider web. And in a spider web, I was so wrapped up in webs that I couldn't move. And so the Lord spoke in my spirit and told me if I began to tell the truth, the webs would begin to break. And so as the webs began to break, things started changing for me. Okay. That's a lot to take in. So let's unpack a little bit of that, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long are you in jail for at this point? This is more than 23 oh. hours, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> so I had been in, in, in jail now at this time, probably about uh, 13 months. I was in a county jail. And did you have a trial yet or no? No, I was still in the county jail waiting on the trial. I actually didn't get to the trial part until uh, 18 months. And were you able to see your children in those 13 yes. months at this point? Yes. they. Uh, I had family that would bring them to see me off and on. And what would you say when you saw those little tiny faces on the other side? Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I would, yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I would always tell them I'd be home soon. You said I would be home soon. Yes, I will always tell them I'd be home soon because I wanted to keep them with hope. Okay. And then how, what would they say? Would they cry when they saw you or did this to them? They didn't. This, this seemed normal. 
No, they my my youngest son, he was a mama's boy, so he would always cry. My my oldest son tried to hold him up all the time. And when you would see him cry, would that when they would leave, you would go back to the cell and it'd be quiet. I assume you would have some very tough nights. Of course, yes. I would basically have very, very tough nights and just continuously ask God to help them, protect them, and to, to lead and guide me. And you started reading the Bible. You said that all the every time you had questions, you were getting answers. Mm-hmm. What was uh, one or two examples of that, like where you're talking to God and then you get the answer? What was an example? So- so like I would like different things in the Bible. Um, and I, I speak about it in my book as well. Like, um, I would ask God, you know, like different questions, you know, far as my children, you know, how, if it's a God, how can, you know, my children be out here on the street and here I am in, in jail. And basically in Deuteronomy 28, it tells you about the blessings and the curses. And basically when you're on, when you're on a curse based on your choices, you, the, the Bible says you'll look upon your children with someone else that's basically taking care of them. So you're you've become very close to God and your spirituality and your religion and your faith. Mm-hmm. And you attribute that to then somehow getting a, a, a lesser sentence. How, how do you correlate the two? Uh, because God was teaching me about the power of li- the power of words, the life of the power of life and death is in your tongue and about speaking words. Whatsoever you say you should have. He was showing me that your words will come find you. Um and as I constantly kept reading the, the, the scriptures and seeing that God would decree a thing and it would happen every time in Genesis, he he would say, you know, um, that there was light. Every time he spoke something into, into existence, it happened. And so I knew that we were co-creators with God and I know it was created in his image. So I began to speak the word of God, which is life. And so I would take uh, the, the book of Mark, Mark 11, verses 20, 23, because it says, um, have faith in God. And I would say, I have faith in God. I have the God kind of faith. And I say unto this mountain, which the mountain, my mountain was the prison sentence I had. So I will speak to the mountain as my prison sentence and ask that the prison sentence be removed. As I constantly kept doing that and time went on, I ended up caught. The, 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 I worked at a dentist office at the jail. And one day the jail, the dentist office, uh, the dentist, they called him and they said, it's Tressa there. And he said, yes. And when he said, um, yes, she's here, they told him, um, my judge had re- went back and reduced my sentence so low that I had 30 minutes to get off that compound. One day you get a phone call saying that your sentence is basically over. Mm-hmm. Just so like had, that. Yep. So I had been sentenced actually. So when I went to court to be sentenced, the prosecutor actually, because I finally went ahead and told the truth and everything, the prosecutor ended up sentencing me. Well, he wanted me sentenced to 16 years. The judge said, let him take a recess. So when he went to take a recess, he came back and gave me 132 months, 132 months. I was going back to the back and I said, what is 132 months? So I was calculating. So it's 11 years at that time when he when um, I was calculating the amount of time I had, one of the the, um, the sheriff, the sheriff guys came over and said, well, how did it go? And as he spoke, asked me, how did it go? I heard in my spirit, the Lord say it's not over yet. So right then he was teaching me the same thing about the power of words. So when he said that, I just told him it went well because I didn't want to quote anything wrong or speak anything wrong. So as I was sentenced to prison, the 11 years, after five years, 
that's when I got the phone call. And they said, um, when they talked to the dentist, they told him, um, they asked to speak to me. But they told him first, then asked to speak to me. And when I picked up the phone, they told me, trust you just, just went back and reduced your sentence so low. You got 30 minutes to get off our compound. So the guard was there waiting for me at the door by the time I hung up the phone and I was out. What, what did the judge see in evidence to then say it's time for her to go back to society? Well, the thing is, I think that it wasn't, I, I know that it was the Lord. Even when I went to the court, I didn't see the judge as the judge. I didn't see my lawyer as my attorney. I didn't see the prosecutor as my attorney. I saw the judge as, as, as a vessel that God was using because God is the judge of the universe. So then I saw that my attorney was another vessel that God was using. And I saw my prosecutor as a vessel that God was using. So I felt that God was in the midst of everything. So I had to go through for my anointing, I feel like. So I, as I kept studying the word and kept, applying the word and I would teach his word to everybody that would listen to it. So as I taught his word and I studied the word, I just believe that as I applied the principles that's in the Bible, that's when God allowed, he used the vessels that I got immediate released. Right. I, so he used the vessel. Okay. I'm following you. The judge was one of those vessels, mm -hmm. but so do you attribute it then to the, the vessel being the judge just woke up that morning and liked you for some reason, thought about you in a different light. Did, yep. he, did he read your case one more time the night before? What do you attribute it to? I know it was, he was the vessel, but what was the catalyst to it? So if you, if you, my, my slogan is, and I tell everybody this, that God's promises created my purpose. It's so many promises in the Bible. And when you stand on those promises and you apply the word of God, he tells you what your result will be. So what I did is I stood on the principles of God. He says in Mark 11, 20, 23, have faith in God. I have God kind of faith. I say unto this mountain, thou shalt be removed and be thou cast into the sea. And I do not doubt in my heart. I believe I receive those things which I saith, and whatsoever I saith, I shall have. I took God's word because he says the, the word is life. And I spoke life. He said the power of life and death is in your tomb. So what I did is I said, I have faith in God. I have the God kind of faith. I say unto this 11 year prison sentence, thou shalt be removed and be thou cast into the sea. And I do not doubt in my heart. I believe I receive those things which I saith, and whatsoever I saith, I shall have. Every time God showed me a principle, because it's about relationship, it's not about religion. So God wants this relationship with all of his people. It's not about a, a, a building. It's not about the pastor. It's not about all these things. He wants that relationship. He's given the pastor to, to, to for his sheep, but it's about relationship. And when we make that application, you see the results of God. How many years ago was that when you were finally released from prison? So that was 2008 when I was released. So 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were in your early 30s, give or take, at that point. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So you get out of prison. Mm -hmm. You It has to be a shocking moment. What was it like when you got home and, and were able to hug those children of yours? Well, it, well, at first it was my dad. He thought he saw a ghost because he knew I, the, the time I had, um, I shouldn't have been out. And I, he was on his back porch when I got home. Um, and when I came on the porch, he just looked, stared, and I had to tell him it's really me and I, what happened, and I'm out. But then it was time for my kids to get off the bus. And when my boys saw me, they was just ecstatic. Because your oldest son, if I'm doing, the, I'm doing some loose math here, mm -hmm. your oldest son lived with your mother for about the first three, four years of his life. He was then with you for mm -hmm. like five or six. And then you went mm -hmm. off to prison for another five plus years. Yeah. 
Yes. So over half of his first 13, 14, 15 years were spent without his mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he I, well from from three. I say it was about two, about two, close to three, on until he was eleven. This happened. He was eleven years old when it happened. So from three years old to eleven, he was with me. Okay, so he was with you from three to eleven. Okay, yes. mm-hmm. and then from eleven to sixteen, seventeen, you were gone again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you come out, and it's like, it, it, what what is the feeling like as a parent when you're able to? Do you stop and say to yourself like? we're starting over. This is the first day of the rest of our lives. Well, no, because they had to go on without me. So I had to d- adapt to where they were. Um, they teenage boys now, they, you know, they at an age now where they liking girls, you know, so I'm just coming back trying to adapt to where I fit in now because now they're going into another stage of their life. And it's a stage of their life that where I made so many bad choices. So I'm trying to adapt and try to, you know, cover them with prayer and, and, and just see where I fit in their life. Where's their father at, at this point? He actually is, uh, he's deceased now. He's deceased. Yes. Okay. And he was, when you got out of jail, was he still in jail? No, he was out. He was out. Okay. So the boys were living with your mother then for those years while you were in prison. So they live with my with my mom. Then it was with my brother and then my your dad. Brother, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what do you do? You you end up taking all. You have like this newfound faith, and you've got this whole new outlook on life. And you're in your early 30s, and it's it's got to be scary because now it's like, what? How do I get my life back in order? How do you take all of these negative things? And at 31, 32 years old, you get out into the world, and then you start this psychological. Christianity life coach journey. How, how do you how do you get yourself there? Well, I didn't start it when I got out. I started when I was in prison. I created my own environment in prison. I created my own atmosphere, my own environment. I did Bible study the entire time I was in prison. I wanted every woman that would listen to me to learn what I was learning and to experience the things I was experiencing from God that I was experiencing in prison. So I didn't start a ministry when I got home. I started a ministry when I was in prison and it continued on when I got out. So that's when I went to school for my BA in psychology. Um, uh, I was ordained a minister and I just continued on. And then when God had inspired me to write my book, um, the book, when it got in the hands of people, it just turned everything around. So when I sent it to the CBN 700 club, they immediately came to my house and wanted to do a film, um, on, uh, or do the story on my book and me because they were so impressed. Looking out from the inside, the United States versus Tressa Olivia Parker is the book. Yes. We've linked it in the show notes. Talk a little bit about the book. What is the book about and, and who should be consuming it? So the book talks about, you know, growing up with childhood paradigms and how sometimes you you have the wrong paradigm growing up. It's because of the culture, because of the things you go through, and it starts to cater your decision-making and your choices. And it, it talks about how I came out of that and how others can come out of that and how they can end up with a successful life. And because it's never too late to recreate and imagine the life that you choose to have. And basically, that's what I did. So I try to help people dispel those limiting beliefs that they're stuck that they have to be in those toxic relationships and try to tell them how they can come out of those relationships and be successful. Is the book tailored more toward women or is it both male and female? It's both. 
I've had men call me after they read the book crying that it's helped it helped them so much to help unravel those emotions. One thing that really helped me um, as well, even as an adult, is one time I was doing a seminar with, with a group of people and one lady asked me, what would I say to that younger Tressa now? And I didn't know how to answer that question. So my brother called me out there, it was over with, and he said, she did nothing wrong. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, the question she asked you, you did nothing wrong. Right then and there, that was another healing moment for me because no one never told me I did anything wrong as a child, adult. No one never told me going through that as a child, I did nothing wrong. So when my brother told me I did nothing wrong, you was a child. No one had no business taking advantage of you like that. You did nothing wrong. I just broke down in tears. So I can say healing is still always a process, but when you're able to talk about it, that's the goodness of it. What do you think your mother would say seeing you today? Uh, my mom's deceased now, but when she saw me preach before she passed away and she was on the back pew, uh, she cried the whole time because she was so proud of me. So she was able to see your turnaround before she passed. Yeah. And she saw it when I was in prison because she asked me um, when I was ministering to her one time when she came and I asked her that she wanted to be saved because sometimes we don't know what our parents go through as well. You know, it's not a it's not a, a, a manual that we have, like a parenting manual that we have. A lot of parents just turn to her. Yeah, she we're losing you again for some reason. She here. knew that I hadn't. Okay. But yeah, I don't I didn't know what my mom may have went through when she was a child or my dad. And so when she was there and she was watching me when she when she was when she came to see me in prison, she just knew that I had changed and she just wondered how did you do it so fast? Because I know everything you're saying, I know it's true. And she said she wanted to be saved. So my mom, she uh, was uh, saved and did the salvation prayer with me hand in hand. Mm. And how about your relationship with your with your sons? What is how would you characterize that today? And we lost her again. Yeah, there I don't know is, what happened. There she is. How, how would you characterize your relationship with your sons today? Um, I would characterize. I think it's um, it's challenging because they grew up with a lot of years without me, but I try to guide them the right way. You guys still talk? Yes. Hmm. Do they hold any grudges against you for not being the mom that they had hoped you'd be when they were little kids? Well, I don't think they hold grudges, but I think sometimes it's like everybody wants to blame someone for whatever shortcoming. So I think sometimes that's an out is to blame um, and which I get it because if I would have known better, I would have did better. But until you know, you don't have that option to do better. So I just try to be patient. Um, I have five grandchildren. So I try to steer them all in the right way. Well, you look way yeah. too young to have five grandchildren, Tressa. So you're yeah. doing something right over there. <laughs> yes, I have five grandchildren, and I, I'm, I'm I'm grateful that they make sure I see them all the time. Looking out from the inside is the book. We've linked that in the show notes, TressaMitchner.com. We've also linked that anywhere else you'd want people to find you online, social media, et cetera. Yeah, no, they, they can just look at those two, and that'll be great. Beautiful. Uh, and my last question for you, Tressa, is – you are a coach. So if there's somebody that's struggling, yes. what kind of services, if they want to reach out to you, well, what are some of the high level services that you, that you would offer? So right now I, I do a 90 day coaching program. If they would like to get um, in the 90 day coaching program is helping to dispel those limiting beliefs, um, understanding about toxic 
toxic relationships, um, they can go on my website and um, they can message me on my website and contact me through that way. Um, and they can t- contact me on Instagram as well and Facebook. I forgot about those two. But yeah, yeah it's all on my website. Though. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're undoubtedly making a positive impact on people's lives. Being so raw and vulnerable is not easy to do. And uh, continued blessings to you. Thank you so much. And I do support the police department as well. I did want to say that. Um, I do re-entry programs with them and as well as uh, going out and trying to blend the community back with officers. So um, I'm in different communities uh, doing that outreach as well. So you're not for defunding the police, clearly. Absolutely not. Thank if we if we defund the police, um, my life probably wouldn't have been be in good shape now. Perfectly said. Thank you so much, Tressa. Yep. Thank you.